Welcome back to Happy Porch Radio, the podcast for progressive agency owners and web professionals. Season three is focused on the growing number of agencies who are making the world a better place. We explore what this even means, why is it different from any other agency, and how can it be reconciled with the real-world challenges of running a profitable agency. Join your host, Barry O'Kane, as he speaks to leaders of agencies who are driven by their values to positively impact the world around them. Welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. Now, sadly, this is the last episode of Season 3. We've heard from so many truly inspiring people and agencies this season, and there are many, many more I would love to speak to. So maybe I'll have to come back to this in a future season. Please do drop me a line if you think that is a good idea, or a terrible one, or if you have any feedback at all. You can reach us via happyporchradio.com. In this episode, I speak to the incredibly driven founders of Whole Grain Digital, which is a WordPress agency in London, that are on a mission to not just create world-class websites, but to create a more sustainable and equitable world. Vinita and Tom share their story and their positive energy in such a wonderfully open and honest way. Listen out to the energy in their voices when they talk about their desire to constantly improve. One cool thing we discuss is their journey to becoming a B Corp, why they did that and the impact it has had. So let's meet Tom and Vinita. I'm Tom Greenwood. I'm the co-founder and managing director of Whole Grain Digital, a WordPress agency based in London and founded in 2007. I'm Vinita and I co-run a WordPress web design agency called Whole Grain Digital. My main function in the business is to generally manage the team and design projects, whether that be internal or external within the business. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I realize you got up early in the morning to do this for me, so I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So I'm really excited to hear about Holgrain. And as we were talking just beforehand, what I'd like to do is kind of follow the journey through of the, I guess, the journey since 2007. And because I know that last year you became one of the few B Corps in the UK. So let's come to that later. But that's part of something I'm quite looking forward to, that part of the conversation. Yeah, sure. So let's start at the beginning. What started Holgrain? Where did you guys meet and how did the whole thing start? So Vanita and I met when we were doing our graduate jobs in Wolverhampton. Well, I was actually working in Telford, but we both lived in Wolverhampton. We both moved into a shared house together and we fell in love. And <laughs> and I'd always said that I wanted to run my own business and I was on a two-year contract. So I was thinking, well, at the end of that, it's a good time to take the leap. Otherwise, if I get another job, I'll probably be stuck in it for years. So I was, you know, we were chatting about it one day and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a business. I didn't really know what it was going to be at the time. And sort of to my surprise, Vanita was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I'll quit my job as well. So I quit um, first. Yeah, you actually quit yours <laughs> before I finished mine, which was amazing. And I was really fired up about sustainability. I mean, it always kind of been... A passion of mine at university. I studied design and I focused on sustainable design. And that's kind of what I'd been doing in, in the job that I was working in, which was nothing to do with web or anything. It was, I was actually designing fireplaces and, and heaters, but to make them, sustainable. <laughs> but to make them energy yeah, efficient. Energy. And so I was doing like 
computational fluid dynamics analysis of like all of the heat flows and everything. And that's it. Yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. But I figured designing fireplaces is not really, it's not going to change the world. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to do something that was more aligned with my, my own interests. So we actually decided that it was 2007. There was a lot going on at the time. There was a lot of excitement about green business and sustainable design at the time. And what we noticed was that there was a lot of people with really good ideas, really good intentions, starting businesses or designing products that were supposed to be more sustainable. And they just had no idea how to present themselves. Everything was like eco this, eco that, and green this, green that. And fonts were bad. The design was bad. It was really sad because you wanted these businesses to progress. Yeah. And they were the sorts of things that would appeal to people like me who were like really into this sort of green stuff. But I realized, and Vanita could see, that if you really want to sort of change the market and move things towards sustainability, you, you need to get things into the mass market. It's great to have like those niches as a starting point because they'll always, you need those hardcore green consumers to to actually kick things off. But at the end of the day, you need to move things into the mainstream. And so that was our intention starting the business. We felt like this was something that we could help with. And so we actually started a branding agency with the specific intention of working with these types of positive businesses to figure out how they can present themselves in a way that's honest, but appealing to a wider audience. And it was hard. It was hard also because they were not the people who had the money. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that was so. Those sort of uh, small green businesses we found were actually really enthusiastic and really kind of receptive, but didn't have budgets to pay a branding agency. You know, maybe we were a bit naive at the beginning, but what they all said was, like, what we will spend money on is a website because we know we need a website. And that's going to be one of the main ways that we present ourselves to the public. So if you can do one of those, we'll pay for it. And, and so that's how we, we changed quite quickly from being a branding agency into a web design agency. And, and we were originally, we actually were not originally called Holgreen. We were originally called Scamper. And, yeah. um, Which we thought was a, not a very good branding agency. Branding. It's <laughs> the irony. We were a branding agency that was not particularly well branded. <laughs> Others thought we were, but we didn't think we were. So we, we needed to move on and change ourselves. And towards about the more websites we made, the more we realized that people who had WordPress as their CMS were happier. And it, it was like the stars were aligning for us where WordPress was getting more and more functionally better and we were gaining more expertise in it. And it just felt like if we continue down this path, we will make better websites for better clients with something that's open source and they have more control over and so on. So so we sort of just changed the way our business worked and just dropped all of our services and said, we're just going to call ourselves Whole Grain Digital to encompass everything that we do, the wholesomeness that we want to create in this world. And somehow Wholesome Digital didn't have the ring to it. So we went on to call, call ourselves Whole Grain Digital and dropped the scamper branding completely. And overnight, I've no idea how that happened. Overnight, we had the confidence and more people came to us for more websites. We did more positive work since. 
I think so. Not that we ever did any negative work. <laughs> that was one of the um, ethical principles. We have a very strong ethical policy. All leads that come through the business go through a scrutiny, don't they? Yeah. 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 So that's how Whole Grain came about. Yeah, that's brilliant. And you do, your website has very clear statements um, of those things, which is amazing. And I'd like to talk a little bit about how you articulated that. But that yeah. story is brilliant. So you start off with the vision, oh, yeah, I want to have my own company and I want to align it to my values. How nerve wracking or how difficult, or how brave a leap did it feel to go out and say, okay, I'm going to set up this agency and then to switch quite quickly to focusing on the web design stuff? Were you feeling confident all the way through? You know, I'm just going to, we're going to keep going and it's all going to be good. Or was it fairly scary? <laughs> it was pretty scary. I'd say the first three years were pretty touch and go. And um, it also aligned with the financial crash in 2008. So people would use that as an excuse for small businesses to give discounts and so on. Yeah. So it was, it was hard and the I, first three years. And I think that there was a lot of, there was a lot of using that as an excuse. I think we met a lot of businesses where you knew that actually it wasn't really a problem for them at the time, but it was like, it was just a card that everyone was playing. Oh, the financial crash, give me a discount. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, we were kind of just living off some savings really and trying to scrape together enough clients to keep yeah. us going. And so when we decided to change to whole grain, from Scamper and, and focus purely on WordPress, that was actually kind of where it stopped being nerve wracking. We just had this confidence that this was the right thing to do and, and that this was what people wanted. And it was literally, I mean, as Vanita said, it was almost overnight. I mean, we literally changed our entire brand in a weekend. We just <laughs> yes. decided one Friday, like, this is going to happen. This is what we're going to call ourselves. And we designed our brand identity. We designed and launched our a website new website on Sunday and Monday we were whole grain. Yeah, Monday it was like we're, you know, send an email newsletter out to all of our clients saying, hey, this is what we've done. And some of them straight away hired us. Yeah, some of them happy. straight away came back and said, hey, that's really interesting. Yeah, we like what you're doing. We need a website. WordPress sounds great. Let's talk. And that was really the point at which things started feeling like it all made sense and we had that confidence. Yeah, it didn't change any ethics. It was actually improvement of ethics and reminding ourselves why we are here and giving the services that we knew now we are fantastic at and can actually promote those businesses for greater good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. I really like the fact that you said that gives you more confidence. Quite often when I speak to small business people generally, but agency owners, the journey to focusing, to sort of narrowing and having a clearer definition of who they are they find that scary rather than confidence building so i think it's really cool that you said oh this is it and if you both use the word confidence so that's brilliant and you said it didn't really change the ethics or the purpose behind what the work that you were doing or the why of what the work you were doing did you have and on your site as we said you've got these clear statements of values of who you are and the kind of filtering process for your clients and so on projects sorry um is that something that was that clear right from back then, or is it something that's grown and, and sort of changed or clarified over the years? I think it's always been there and it's always been fairly clear in our heads. And even at the beginning, you know, we were talking very openly about what we wanted to achieve in terms of trying to use business as a force for good and help positive organizations to, to kind of compete in the marketplace. And we were quite open about that, but it has really crystallized over the years. I think we've got a lot more clarity about what that actually means and tangible actions that we can take. And, and I think we've also learned a lot about the limitations. Maybe at the beginning, 
it was easy to kind of think, yeah, 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 we're going to be all sustainable. And then like gradually over the years, you, you sort of realize that, well, actually being sustainable, the intention is easy, but, <laughs> but the reality is really quite challenging. And I think that that's something that we've, we've kind of battled with along the way, but we've also gained kind of maybe a little bit more, I mean, particularly myself, a bit more understanding of other businesses of why they're, they may have good intentions, but they're not as perfect as people like me might think they should be. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a journey you have to go on. That's why we have positive screening, negative screening for the leads that come in. So positive screening is actually trying to see if they are promoting a healthy natural environment, such as clean energy or non-toxic goods. But as negative screening is, are they promoting fossil fuels or alcohol or GM products, GM modified products or tobacco? So there's a clear distinction between positive screening and negative screening when the leads come in and we actually have a discussion in the team and because everybody in the team is so well aligned with the ethics of the business they will actually voice their opinion if they will or won't work on the project and that gives us quite a clear indication that we don't even sometimes have to touch ethical policy it's just yeah the way a team reacts think, to the projects yeah and i think coming back to your question you know in the early days it wasn't written down it was just Vanita and I would just make a judgment of like, do we think these people are, are people that we feel comfortable working with or not? And gradually, as we've grown as a business, we've realized that we need to, we need to really clarify who it is we want to work with so that we can, so that it's not just in our heads, but even our team members can understand clearly, this is who we're aiming to work with. These are the people we really want, we don't want to touch. And as part of that, by writing it down, what is opened up is that actually there's a huge gray area there's we we've got like this green list that we need to spoke about which is a positive screening of organizations that we think are really going to make a genuinely positive contribution to make the world better and some of those are profit-driven businesses but they're doing something good some of those are non-profits and then there's the red list which is all the stuff we just don't want to touch because we just feel like is that actively making the world worse and we don't want to be part of that but there's this huge gray area in the middle where you look at a business and you think, well, I don't know, to be they're honest. They're not doing I mean, anything bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just a kind of run-of-the-mill business. And, you know, maybe they do some good things. And somebody needs But their, their mission is not, yeah, yeah, someone needs their products or service, but their, their mission is not necessarily to change the world. And those often end up being the ones which are kind of, I guess we call them like Robin Hood projects. Yeah. Where, you know, it's not like we're, we're working with something we don't approve of in order to fund something we do but we're working with things which we think yeah okay maybe this isn't going to change the world but they've got a decent budget they're nice people and if we make some profit on this we can actually put it towards something that we really believe in yeah robin hood sort of encapsulates that very clearly or i guess this two-part question one in the early days did you find it hard to say no to projects if you were also sort of you know basically trying to meet the bills and pay the bills um, in the early days. And second part of the question, has that changed now as you sort of have become established and, and are stronger in who you are? I think it wasn't as hard to say no, because we were slightly, you know, in your 20s, you have this undeterred confidence that things are going to work out <laughs> until they don't. But, you know, <laughs> you, you push through. And in, even though it was very hard, 
we had very clear messaging even then on our website on how we work with ethical businesses and positive businesses. And I still remember a company calling us. They're a, mag- they're a very well-known magazine company that wanted to do rebranding of their tagline. And they said, so we don't recycle our magazines. Will you still work with us? And I found that statement really hilarious. But then I suddenly realized the reason they were talking about it was because of the clear messaging on our site. So in a way, it was easy to screen the leads because what we were saying on our website aligned with some people and the ones that it didn't align with didn't get in touch. So screening was much easier right since the beginning. But when they did get in touch, we would be, although it was hard, we would turn the lead down very politely saying how we're here to do something else and perhaps we won't be the best partners, digital partners for yourself. And that same thing hasn't changed today. Today we have touch wood, we have better clients, more money and more budgets. I think in uh, some ways in the business. it has actually changed. It's got harder. <laughs> yes. And the reason it's got harder <laughs> is right. because because we specialize in WordPress, we get that has diversified the type of companies that approach us. So in the early days when we were just talking about sustainability and, and branding and branding and so on, it was really focused. Like our leads were only people who were interested in us. Whereas now we'll get companies who they just want WordPress specialists and they're not necessarily so interested in the ethical side of things. And those are the ones that are more challenging. And, and what's particularly harder is I think in those early days, although we had no money, we didn't have any overheads. And the value of each project was quite small. So to turn somebody down, it was like, well, okay, yeah, we're not losing that much. Whereas now if we turn somebody down, you know, there is financial pressure. You know, we've got like a team of 18 people and, you know, their salaries are going to be paid every month. And sometimes those projects that come in are quite sizable. I mean, we get a variety of sizes of projects, but I mean, last year we turned down, we turned down a contract that was worth six figures. Yeah. Because... Twice, actually. Yeah, they actually came back. You we were like, oh, God, <laughs> don't make me go through this again. <laughs> we're, not, yeah. we're not that large of a company to yeah. turn somebody like that down, but we knew we can't do this. We just can't do yeah. this. Yeah, and, and that was one of the ones where we did go to our team and we talked to them about it and said, look, guys, how do you feel about this? Is this something we should be working on? And and everyone was like, no, it was pretty clear. They just didn't want to be involved in it. So I think it was more gray than it was. Yeah, it was gray, in it was in the gray area. Not but, interested. But and that was what made it harder in a way that it was in the gray area. So it wasn't like, oh, we can't work with you because we have a list of industries we won't work with. It was actually they're in the gray area. But in our guts, we just feel this isn't right. And when we talked to the team, everybody basically said the same thing that you know, they don't want to come to work every day and, and work on that project. So that was what would have, would have happened because it would have been an all consuming project. Yeah. As well. yeah. So, yeah. That's a story that comes be the strength, both of what you're wanting to do and the team and everything comes through with a story like that. We've got a very clear no. I always think it's easy to say yes to the money now and then worry, worry about how to fix it later, but it's a real long-term strength to say that kind of no. I find it hilarious that you had to do it twice. actually when they came the second time i just didn't want to tell tom because most of the leads come through to me i uh, actually thought should i just reply and leave it but it would have been wrong so i had to involve him (laughs) now you've mentioned the team several times at what point did you start recruiting and start actually building a team 
Right since the beginning, we knew that there were some skills we didn't have. We could do the design, we could do the project management, but we couldn't code. Well, Tom could code a bit, but not well. So we had to hire freelancers right since the beginning. I think any of our developers, if they heard the statement, Tom can code a bit, they would just laugh. No, I I wouldn't go there. I I agree. Most of the coding elements, we knew that we had to hire somebody who could write a very clean, efficient code. And although my background has electronics engineering and coding in it, the technologies have moved far beyond. And we just decided that right from the beginning, we'd hire contractors and freelancers unless we have the capacity to hire somebody in-house. And so we did. We we always have so, had somebody or the other coding for us. But as time went on, I think, was it 2011, 2012, we started hiring employees as such? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And it just grew by about two to three every year. And we are the size we are now. Um, yeah, it's been fairly organic since then. Yeah, two or three people a year. And we found, to be honest, I mean, we found that actually once we started having people in-house, that was probably one of the scariest leaps we did take. I think it was just a big mental barrier that, you know, it's a big responsibility to have employees on the payroll. And, you, and, and the idea that somebody could go and show your employment contract and get a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that really freaked me out. Yeah, and I think we put it off for a little while because we were just too scared of that. But once we did take that leap, we realized that actually it was a positive because those people really did feel like they were they were part of the team. We were working on something together and and we there was a commitment to it on both sides that was really healthy. So And we were just so lucky with the people who approached us yeah. and the people we've hired right from the beginning. They're so aligned with what we think, what we want to do. And they are attracted to the brand because it aligns with their personal values. So they're not going through a hot pool, cold pool feeling when they're coming from their home to a workplace. They're actually swimming happily between the two, which is great. Yeah. Mm. Now, you said when they reached out to you or they contacted you or came to you, how does that recruitment process work? Do you because it does sound like you've got a really aligned team. Is that something that's happened just because, as you say, people have come to you because they're interested in, in the way you presented yourselves? Or has there been a recruitment process where you've had to go out and hunt people? It's in, until fairly recently, we never actively recruited anybody. It was, we, we get a fair number of applications just anyway from people who like the look of us as a company and they think that it's something they'd like to be a part of. And I think we're lucky, we're lucky in that respect. And so... In, until fairly recently, we were quite passive about it. We would basically just wait. And if somebody came through the door that we felt like, yeah, they have something, they're a great fit, they're a great person, and they have something to offer, then we'd just take them on. But more recently, I'd say in the last two years, our business reached a stage in terms of the type of projects we were doing, the type of clients we had, where we realized that if there's a skills gap, that needs filling, then it needs filling. Like we, we can't just sit around and wait. So yeah, we've been kind of learning the recruitment process over the last couple of years. And, and part of that is trying to filter those applications. So, you know, obviously putting job ads out where required to try and get, get the applicants, but actually still communicate who we are and what we, what we're all about and filter those applicants so that we don't just get people who have the right skills, but we also find people who, who are aligned with our values and and that's quite hard because it's a bit like turning down projects that, <laughs> that you find candidates where you think well 
they can do that. They probably do the job fantastically, but they might not be the right cultural fit for us. And so in those cases, we still have to turn them down and just be a bit more patient and wait until we find, find the right person. And, you know, I think that pays off in the long run because it builds a really strong team culture. And not everybody is like, you know, not everybody in our team necessarily has exactly the same values as myself or Vanita. That they all have their own views on things, but they're I passionate think, about something. Yeah, Tom. yeah. The overall kind passions. of the overall point is that they're they're really positive people. And yeah, and as Vanita, you just said they're passionate about something. So yeah. is that uh, it? Sounded like that's a really important part. Like you would almost use that as a recruitment criteria. Yeah, I think you have to be passionate about something positive. It doesn't matter if that's about reducing plastic waste, reducing the number of toxins in the environment, in the soil, or wanting to, you know, raise your children in a positive way. I don't know what that would mean, but for, it's different for different people. But there's so many things that people can be passionate about that if we expected them to be like us, we wouldn't have the diverse team we have today. Because Tom's passions of extreme passions, I would say, about the environment don't necessarily align with somebody else's passions about something else. They might be more interested in, you know, community projects. and Yeah, yeah, social injustice. There's some yeah. people are about reducing social injustice. And so be it. I, I would rather them do something positive and move the world towards. I think uh, it's all good and everybody yeah, has their yeah. things that they're more fired up about. And I, th I guess that's the point. Yeah, but. Everyone should have something. If we all have something that we're passionate about to make the world better and make a positive contribution, then as a community, we're all going to be moving the world in a positive direction. Yeah. And so do you ever have disagreements? Whenever you have these conversations about the, the gray area projects that you talked about within the team, are there ever people pulling in different directions? I don't think so because although it sounds a bit dictatorial when it comes down to if Tom and I don't agree at a project taking on then it won't happen but at the same time it depends actually what the project is I don't think anybody has anything against any projects in the team unless they're really negative but if Tom and I don't think they are aligned with our values then we'll probably turn them down is that fair yes and I say we're generally fairly on the same page yeah as each other. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, very cool. I was just trying to think of examples and I couldn't find any, so you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Now, there's two other things I'd like to touch on. One uh, is something you said uh, earlier in the conversation, Tom, about um, sustainability being an easy intention, but then having to turn that into concrete actions. And the second thing is B Corp and the, your journey towards becoming a B Corporation. Well, first of all, how did that come about? How or why did you decide to look at B Corps? Yeah, so it was exactly that, that I think, you know, we'd been going for about nine years and I'd always been, you know, every year trying to look at what we're doing as a business and how we run the business and what the potential impact of that might be and trying to ensure that we did everything as positively as we could, you know, reduce our resource consumption, try to use renewable resources where possible, minimize waste and, you know, all of those sorts of things. But then I watched this film called The Future of Energy, which is a, it's a documentary about renewable energy. And at the end of the film, it had these actions, which, and one of the actions was, if you're a business, become a B Corp. And I had no idea what this was. So I just thought, okay, that sounds a bit weird. And I, I don't think I even looked it up at the time. Then um, Ecova, our client Ecova, asked 
one of our contacts at Ecova, Pete, he asked me, would you be interested in becoming a certified B Corp? And I don't think he knew if I was going to say yes or no. I just got curious and I came to him, I came home and told Tom about it. And we still didn't look it up. I think I looked it up and I looked at the website and I thought I still don't really get it. And then, yeah, I was looking at renewable energy suppliers because I was trying to encourage our team members to switch their home energy supply to renewables. So I was researching all the different options of companies they could go with. And one of the ones is a fairly new company called Bulb. And they've got it slap bang in the middle of their homepage. It's says, you know, like, you know, proudly, we are a certified B Corp. And I just thought this must be something, <laughs> you know, this must be something interesting. So I went back to the B Corporation website and I saw it says, you know, take our assessment online and, and six hours later it was a saturday morning i was eating my <laughs> breakfast and literally like i was stuck there for uh, yeah what probably was five or six hours Benita <laughs> couldn't move me i was doing this assessment because you can use their assessment tool for free before you even enter the, the official yeah, it's process. called b assessment the yeah. b impact assessment yeah it's really nicely designed i was just hooked on it because it was asking me questions that that were challenging me and some of them I could answer easily. And I was like, yeah, we do this and it's good. And <laughs> great. I can, I, I, you know, it would give you a few options. A lot, a lot of it's multiple choice. Some of it you have to actually write an explanation of something, but a lot of it's multiple choice. And so you can generally kind of just intuitively see, well, I know that which is the best option. I know which is the worst, but you've got to be honest about where you are. And a lot of them, I couldn't tick the best option. And that was what hooked me in. I was like, well, that's not right. We need to be pushing ourselves to always do the best we can in terms of sustainability and positive impact. And, and so it gave me a focus to really like raise our game basically. And so I decided that let's, let's take this seriously. We're going to go through this process thoroughly and we're going to take some time. And it did take about six months for us to get to the point where we could actually certify and a lot, a huge investment yeah. of actual time over that six months to change certain things that we were doing and document things we were already doing because a lot of it was like yeah yeah we do that it's like and then if someone says we'll prove it well <laughs> i can't prove it so actually having to go away and say well i should be able to prove it there should be a tangible way that i can say yes we do this and and to be able to measure it because if you can't measure something then you can't really improve against it and i think that's what the b corp certification is fantastic for is that it it holds you to account and I think when you're running a business, you can think you're doing things in a positive way, but you never really hold yourself to account. You know, it's very easy to say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. And I think that's what's nice is when you have somebody who's independent and who is an expert in that field, you know, that the people who do the, the B Corp certification, they're experts in, you know, environmental impact, social impact. And, you know, they're probably a lot more knowledgeable than I am. So to have them hold us to account, I think has been really valuable and it's been a great learning experience because you can then compare yourselves against something. And you have to certify every two years. So you go through the same process. Once you're certified B Corp doesn't give you this license to call yourself a certified B Corp. It's going to be again coming around in about a year from now. We have to yeah, redo just, the just test. Just under a year we'll have, to, we'll have to recertify. So it keeps you on your toes. And keeps you in check which is a good thing so you then and also the scoring system although it looks straightforward it's very hard to hit a score yeah so, so the first time we took the assessment i think we just scraped by 
and now we are in a passing mark. <laughs> yeah, so you have to get. <laughs> so I don't know how familiar you are with it, but basically they have there's up to 200 points that you can score, and you have to get 80 to get certified, which actually sounds like quite a low score, but in reality, 200 is impossible. Like they, if you ask them, they'll openly say like, no one is ever going to get 200. They're just not. The best score is, I think, Ecova Method, Method in the US, who did the assessment, and they came to 143. Yeah. They are the best. In yeah. The so that gives you an idea of just how tough it is. And we thought, well, yeah, 80 out of 200, that can't be hard. And we were, I was, I'll admit, I was a bit cocky at the beginning. I was thinking, well, I know there's a lot of things in this assessment that maybe we need to improve on. But I thought 80 surely can't be that hard. And when I finally, I mean, it took ages for it actually get to the point where we'd completed enough of the assessment to actually get a score that we could, we could work with. It? No, originally we were, we were under 80 and we had to do some, yeah, and we did have to raise our game. And then we got to the assessment stage and there was, we got a few points knocked off <laughs> because we, we were using an office space that we knew was powered by renewable energy. And that was one of the reasons that we were work, that we used that as our base in London. And and we knew it was because we'd spoken to the property manager and they'd, they'd shown us, you know, this is the tariff we use is where we get the energy from and so on. So it was something that we we already were doing. Were yeah. doing. Yeah. But when we came to the assessment, they said, well, you need to actually submit, you know, like hard documentary evidence that your office space is powered by renewable energy. And we went back to the building managers and they, they just couldn't be bothered, basically. You know, it was a big tower block in London and they were just like, yeah, look, we don't have time for you. Um, even though they'd, show, they'd showed they'd been quite helpful the first time around, the second time around, they were like, nah, go away, we're too busy. And they, we just, I, I kept asking and kept asking and I just couldn't get this document. So the assessors basically said, well, look, we just have to knock this whole section off and say that you don't know where your energy comes from. Same thing with water consumption. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that are actually really challenging if you don't necessarily have control over every aspect of your business. And in our case, where we we use shared office spaces, and those shared spaces are part of larger buildings in London that have kind of centralized facilities, it's really hard to actually measure certain things that you wish you could measure, like water consumption and energy consumption. So it was it was hard, but we we scraped over the line in the end because they actually came back and they said, well, even though we've knocked that off, there's a whole section of the assessment that you didn't fill in. <laughs> that was embarrassing. <laughs> and, and it was the section about, it was a section about the, the positive impact of the clients that you work with. I don't know. There was something about the way it was worded that we felt like we don't have a primarily charities yet. We've got lots of charities we work with, but it wasn't like I don't a... think it was that. It was that I think the way the question was worded implied that you were manufacturing a product that had some sort of specific oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ethical like, yeah. or environmental benefit. And actually, I just misunderstood the question. And when it came down to it, that was one part of it. But the other part of it was like if you're doing sort of, you know, client services, what sort of companies are you helping and are they purpose-driven organizations? And that was that was really interesting for us because that made then made us go and back and measure, like because we have this screening that we do for our clients, it made us go back and actually calculate, okay, out of our, you know, out of all of our turnover, what percentage is actually from the people on our green list versus gray or red? And it was about 50-50 green to gray, 
which is something that we're really trying to improve now and, and expand the green. But that was kind of eye-opening to actually measure that because now it's become a focus for us to say, oh, well, we've actually measured it. Now we need to improve it. Mm. That example really helps. I'm thinking about um, the value of it, basically. So you're, what you're describing there is a very, is it kind of helps you move even further to that purpose or the why that you have anyway, and it allows you to sort of, as you say, hold, hold you accountable and requires measurement and so on. Which is obviously really powerful, particularly from, you know, when you're trying to do move in that direction anyway. Yeah. Do you think um, now that you have the certification and you've got the badge on the site, are there any other benefits to becoming B Corp? Like what, what, what happens now that you, apart from sort of redoing the thing and sort of doing, using things like you were saying, it helps you move and measure and move those things. What are there broader benefits? Because that's what B Corp talks around, the community and things like that. Yeah. So the community is actually fantastic and it's something that... We were kind of blind to it until we actually got certified because it had all started from this Saturday morning where I started clicking around on the impact assessment online. And it just became like this kind of, I was a bit tunnel vision. I was like, this is something that is so challenging. It's challenging to myself that I just have to push forward and we have to improve and we have to, we have to go through this process. And it was only when we popped out the other end of the process that we were like, well, there's this whole community here of, of other businesses. And it's, and it's really been fantastic. I mean, they do a whole load of events, but I, I think the best one so far for us was the, I forgot what it's called, but they do a retreat. Be Together. Be Together, retreat. yeah, which we went to last year. It was like a two-day retreat. And you're there surrounded by other business leaders or managers um, who believe similar things to you believe. They believe that business should be something that can make a positive impact in the world. And they might have different perspectives on how you do that, but ultimately you have that shared value and everyone's from a whole range of different industries and they're all doing things in their own way. And it's just, firstly, I think it's just a massive kind of confidence boost to think that, Hey, we're not completely crazy. We're not the only people that think like this. There's all these other people, but then you actually get to share ideas with them and people are so open and so welcoming. There's a sort of circle of trust within the B Corp community that, people will be very open about the inner workings of their business and, and really because they want to help each other succeed because they believe that, you know, you're trying to do something good, we're trying to do something good, let's help each other. Whereas I think sometimes in business, people can be a bit cagey because they feel like there's a sort of competitive advantage to keeping things close to your chest. I think B Corp community believes in the true principle of win-win. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. They believe in win-win. Yeah, that does sound really cool and a, a really inspiring and challenging journey to have gone through. Yeah, yeah, it's been fantastic. And I think now we're feeling, you know, we're just over a year since we actually achieved certification. And I think... Tom's got feel, the bug again. Yeah, it's like, I feel like <laughs> we're really just at the beginning of the journey. Like, cert, I really believe certification is the beginning. It's not like, oh, we've certified, now it's done. It's actually like, no, we've reached some sort of minimum standard and now we have to really keep pushing ourselves to to keep improving. Yeah, this month I'll sign up for the 1% for the planet in our 11th year. No, it's our 12th year of trading starting this month. So now it's become one of those things in my head as March starts approaching, what have we done? What have we achieved this year? How have I not, you know, found something more positive to do? And although Tom keeps plugging, checking away at 
finding ways to make the business better. I think I like to collect certificates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I should say, I mean, I, I should emphasize that, that although the impact assessment, a lot of it is multiple choice, that it shouldn't be treated as a box ticking exercise. It should be taken seriously. It's so much hard work. There's no point going through it if you're just going through it to tick the right boxes and get the certificate. You should be doing it for the right reasons. And so if you find something in there that you think, okay, we need to improve on, then I think it's better to just actually focus on like, why is there a difference between these options? Why is this one better? And why should we do it rather than just thinking, oh, fine, we've got to measure this so that we can tick the box. I think it's really better to embrace it and say, oh, no, we've got to measure it so that we can improve it. And I think everybody within, I don't think you'd get through the assessment if you didn't believe that. There's thousand businesses in the UK currently under assessment. Yeah, I think something like that in actually in the pipeline, I think there's over a thousand UK businesses that are going through the process. And there's, I'm not exactly sure what the current number is, but it's... We were 129th, weren't we? Or 127? Something around that, yeah. And so I think there's probably around 200-ish in the UK currently certified. So it's still quite a small number, but I think it's going to grow quite fast. As a global movement... Yeah, cool. There's so much there. And we're just sort of starting to look at the time. We're running out of time, unfortunately. And I didn't even get to talk to you about some of the projects and the work that you actually do. <laughs> but so just to, before we finish, I do have one last question or one last thing I would like to hear about. What's the future for Whole Grain Digital? I think one of the big parts of the future and what we're focusing on this year is greening the internet. And this is actually something that kind of came about partly kind of through the the certification process with B Corps that I feel slightly embarrassed that I hadn't realized what a huge impact the internet has on the environment. The internet is 6% of global carbon emissions, which is equivalent to the entire aviation industry. And, you know, people think of flying as, as being like one of the worst things for climate change. Having a website is pretty bad. Having a website, it turns out to be, to be pretty bad too. Obviously, you know, it's all relative for on an individual level. But if you actually put it all together, the total aviation industry is equivalent to the whole of the internet. And it's also roughly equivalent to like the entire emissions of Germany, So, which is one of the worst polluters in the world. It's like sixth or seventh, I think, in terms of how much carbon they produce or countries. So it's a huge issue. And, we're, and we specialize in WordPress. WordPress powers 30% of all websites. So if you think about that, I mean, it's, it's not, you can't literally do the equation of saying, well, 30% of the emissions are from WordPress, because a lot of it is from data intensive services like like streaming music and streaming video on Netflix and Amazon Prime. TV so. binge. Yeah. <laughs> but it just opened it opened our eyes. And I think our whole team is really getting behind this now that we've realized that we need to be taking leadership on this issue and actually trying to move the whole culture of sort of web design towards actually looking at when you design and build or maintain a website or own a website, you've got to be thinking about the environmental impact. How much energy does it use? What are the carbon emissions? Where is the energy coming from? And it's quite hard. You know, a lot of hosting providers, it's very hard to find out where the energy comes from. And in terms of actually measuring the energy consumption and the emissions, there isn't really a tool that you can use to do that. And actually, one of the things we've been doing over the past year is developing that tool, which we're going to release soon as a sort of version one website carbon calculator. But it is really hard because, as I said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And so I think the big thing for us is to really release this tool, improve this tool and and educate people. And hopefully then people will start to actually take 
positive steps forward to actually bring the emissions of their websites down over time. And I think that's something that we can really take leadership on as a team. What we generally try to aim to do is all on our goodness page. So if you went to wholegraindigital.com slash goodness, it will show you all of the actions we're taking currently, what are the measurable goals, what our mission statement is. I think it also links on to our values page and so on. But it's for us and our team to keep ourselves in check. Sometimes you have to write things down to be accountable for them because goals move and you need goals for by a certain year, but you also need them written down so that you can check them out there. Yeah. Excellent. That was going to be my next question. So wholegraindigital.com slash goodness. As usual, I'll link to that and to a few other cool pages on your site and to B Corp on the show notes on happyporchradio.com. Tom, Vanita, thank you so much. There's so much more. I would love to go into more depth, but maybe we'll have to do that another time. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) Lovely to chat. Thank you both. See you, Bye. You can get all the links and notes from this episode on happyporchradio.com, where you can also find out how to send us questions, feedback, and get involved in the conversation about this series. If you enjoyed the show, please share with anyone else who might enjoy it too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.